We're glad you joined us today for Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio preaching ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus. We're in the middle of a series on the life of Joseph called, But God Meant It for Good. And today we're going to listen to the second part of a message called Repentance, Forgiveness, and Reconciliation, Part 1, The Offender. Joseph, as he's processing for these three days, how do I avoid a cheap, incomplete repentance as I'm engaging my brothers? Are they they going to be sad? Have they experienced any change? Or are they the same messed up mess they were? And and, and do I even want to let them know that I live anymore? That's where Joseph is. Let's go back to the text, verse Verse 18, it says, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live. He brings them back in front of him. For I fear God. If you are honest men, if, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and and, and let the rest go and carry grain for the family of your households. Uh, Joseph realized that one person going back, that that person could get, something could happen to them. Certainly Certainly Jacob would never send Benjamin if nine people were confined. So he rethought his strategy a little bit. That was wise. Verse 20, and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. And then they said to one another, this is where it gets, wow. Think phase one. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. And that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered and said, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now, there comes a reckoning for his blood. So now put yourself in Joseph's place, verse 23, and they did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Joseph turned away from them and he wept. All those thoughts flooding, and here they are. They literally are defining. In fact, in chapter 37, it doesn't tell us Joseph's response. This tells us the response of Joseph, that he was pleading with them and begging them not to sell him, not to send him away. And they were heartless and cold. And now they know exactly what that feels like. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded up their donkeys with grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of the sack. What's that doing here? And he said to his brothers, "Uh, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. And their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us. Now listen, repentance without God is incomplete. No matter how much someone has offended another person individually, all sin is directed toward God. And, and, and they're beginning to see for the first time, not that there's some weird guy that's, that they've never met that is, seems to have it out for them. They come to realize in this moment that it is God himself that is leaning into them. 
What is this that God has done to us? I want to look quickly at a couple things here. Here's, here's something important. If you're like, hey, well, how do I know when someone's repented? You know, most of us, we want, to, we want if you're the offender, like, let's get this done and get it cleaned up. I want to get back to where things were. Or maybe even the offended person, you're like, I just want things to go back to normal. How long does it take for this whole repentance thing? How many times do I have to tell them it's time for you to change? What do I do? I want to show you a couple of ways that God works. Let's put this up on the screen. How do I know when somebody's coming to repentance? So here's a couple necessary ingredients in the process of repentance. Here's the one I hate the most. Time. Time. Most of us want God to do his work in how many minutes? How about less than five? God works through time. God is... Slow. God is very slow. Some of you are like, preach, come on, stop doing that. You're messing with my head. God is slow. You want me to show you that in the text? Thank God for this verse. Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 8 says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Thank God that he's been slow and patient with me. The same, every one of us here should be thinking that. Thank God that, forget about the person that's offended me and how fast they'll change or not change. Thank you, God, that you are patient and slow with me, that you give me time to see it and to come to an awareness of my need for you, God. Here's the second one. God works through reaping. I'd like to say that everybody gets it in the first five minutes. My experience is no one gets it in the first five minutes. But God's word says this in Galatians. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. If you're living in hidden sin, look up here really quick. If you're living in sin, if you're doing things wrong, if you're an offender and you're not addressing things, don't. You are mocking God to his face. Okay, God loves you, but you're mocking God. And God doesn't take well to that. Scripture says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. One thing that God does has put into reality is when someone does sin and they're unrepentant about it, they don't turn from their sin quickly, even when they do sometimes, there is resulting, uh, it, it's, it's a, what scripture would call a seed of the flesh that is sown, and it takes time, but eventually the, the result of that weed, I'll call it a weed or bad tree, it grows and grows and grows. And eventually there's bad fruit. There are consequences. And, and one of the things that God works through is reaping. Now think about this quickly in Joseph's life. I wonder what prison Joseph put them in. I wonder if he knew exactly which room he put them in. I wonder if he put them in the exact same place he had been incarcerated It was the king's prison and he was the second ruling. He could have put them in the exact same room that he had been in. They realize that they're reaping something, that something's going on here, that what they have done is coming back on them. Listen, listen, if you want to see God work in, some, in, in someone, you have to make sure that you're leaving time. Be patient like God. Second of all, we need to let what God is doing, reaping. Sometimes we try to shortchange the time. Well, if you just say you're sorry, we'll be good. We'll be good. It, it, no, no, no. What you're doing is you're going to keep repeating the cycle. 
Because until someone has enough time to really see what God is doing, and this leads me right into the third thing in a second here. Listen, God wants the brothers to reap what they're sowing so that they can repent from how they're sinning. And if you cut that cycle short, people don't really repent. Here's the third factor, the most important factor, that is the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can't help but read through this passage and see the Spirit of God working. They say to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. The Holy Spirit is giving them conviction of what they did and how they caused him distress as he begged them, and they would not listen. They were heartless. Then you look in verse 28. They say, this, it, what is this that God has done to us? They're seeing God working. And here's the danger. And I'm saying this to those of us who have been hurt or been offended. Too many of us try to play Holy Spirit. We try to be the, we try to be the instrument of conviction. If I just tell that person one more time, they're going to get it. How many of us have attempted to play Holy Spirit and that's led to a fail? Okay. Some of you are raising your hands. Some of you need to be under the conviction of the Lord so that you did raise your hand. We've all done it. Time, reaping, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit have a way of making truth loud and clear in the hearts of offenders. Then there's the truth. I want you to notice something unique here in the text. Notice that in verse 22, God's word records a very important thing that Reuben says. Reuben says, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. And now here comes a reckoning for his blood. Now look up here really quick. This is something you need to see. Now I'm switching to the offender for a minute. Often is offended, the offended person, the person that's absorbed the pain, we often think we know exactly what happened. Now, the truth is, probably, Joseph spent 22 years thinking that Reuben was actually the one that had it out for him. Because if you think about the family structure, Reuben was the leader. He was the one in charge of the family. And and Joseph, and the love that his father had given him and making him the probable leader of the clan heir, those two were likely. But actually, the truth is that it wasn't Reuben. Reuben was actually pleading for his life back in Genesis 37. So that's why Joseph chose Simeon. Sometimes we think we know the thing, and it's actually that over time, the truth of what really happened becomes apparent not just to the offender, but also to those who are offended. It's obvious that the the brothers are also experiencing a level of soberness and anger. Instead of anger and excuses, they are no longer blame-shifting. I love what one pastor wrote when he said this. He said, life-changing repentance begins where blame-shifting ends. And God is working in the brothers. God is changing them. God is bringing them to the end of themselves. Here's the last one, and this is important, fruit testing. If you really want to know if somebody has genuinely repented, if they've really made a turn, and that they're not willing to follow the Lord, well, it's exactly what Joseph said multiple times in the text. Verse 15, he says, by this you shall be tested. Verse 16, you may be tested. Verse 20, will be verified. And then all the way down to 25, he throws them a curveball by putting their money back in the sack. He wants to see, you guys sold me for a pile of money. I'm going to see if you're actually honest men and going to bring this money back to me. True repentance. Here, I'll give you a little slogan I kind of wrote up. You can, or maybe I heard it somewhere. I have no idea. Don't cry me a river of tears. Grow me a bushel of good fruit. 
If you want to know if somebody's repented, don't cry me a river of tears. I'm so sad. I'm so sad. If you really loved me, you'd forgive me. Blah, 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 blah. Out on that. Don't cry me a river of tears. Experience genuine biblical repentance before God and grow me a bushel of good fruit. Then I'll know that the root at the bottom of the tree is actually producing biblical responses. Now again, the goal of repentance is not to get the offender where you want them. The goal of repentance is to see God get the offender where he wants them. To grace. To hope. This is Pastor Luke Aarons from Vertical Church in Columbus. You know, I pray that as you listen to Meeting with God daily, you are growing in your passion to follow Jesus Christ. But you know, following Jesus is more than just listening to sermons. It's about serving Him with our gifts and abilities. Hey, can I encourage you to think about what would be the next step of faith in serving Christ in your church or your community? And you know, if you don't have a church, let me invite you to visit our church family at 1290 Old Henderson Road in Columbus. To reconciliation first with him and then with the people vertically. Look back at the text, verse 28. This one brother says to his brothers, my money has been put, in the, has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them and they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? And when they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them saying, the man, the Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. We said to him, we are honest men. We have never been spies. In fact, we're such honest men. Oh, wait, but we haven't even told you what happened to your favorite son. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, by this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your household and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land. So much irony here. The brothers are, this is one of the key things in repentance is that we, we often have a truth disconnect. We say we're honest in another area, but in truth, we're living a lie in another area. Verse 35, as they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father said to them, very interesting. If you're interested in what's going on under the surface here, Jacob says something very interesting. He says, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Now look at me really quick. Just a little interesting sub note. We might, uh, as one commentator, multiple commentators have talked about, Jacob may actually have an inkling that they sold Joseph. And when when all the guys start opening up their bags and there's money in here, what is he thinking? I roundabout heard you might have sold Joseph. Now you sold Simeon, and you want me to take, want me to give Benjamin to you? Fool me twice. You're not doing it a third time. Then Reuben said to his father, kill my two sons. If I do not bring him back to you, put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son, Benjamin, shall not go with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Some, some time goes by. Chapter 43, verse 1 says, Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. 
But Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? And they replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred saying, is your father alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me. Israel and Jacob are, Jacob was his first name. God changed it to Israel. It's using it interchangeably. And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go. We may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you. Let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not delayed, we would by now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, Gum, myrrh, pistachio, nuts, and almonds. We're halfway to ice cream at Jenny's right here. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it is an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go to the man. I'm drawing this to a very important verse that we're going to end on. What Jacob is addressing when he says, take this money... It's not just that he's navigating things with his sons. There's a lot of conflict in that family. There was so much conflict. When he's telling them to take the money back, he's also breaking a family sin that went back generations. It was the sin of deception, dishonesty. Jacob, if you remember when he was dealing with Esau, Esau says to him, he says, is this not Jacob? He's a cheater. His name's a cheater. And yet God had changed his name to Israel. And what Jacob is doing right here is he's spiritually leading his family out of a sinful trap and into the future that God wants them to go in. Some of you come from family traps of sexual immorality or greed or bitterness or ways of doing things in an unhealthy way. And God wants you to be the one that breaks the chain. And he's telling them, listen, I want you to go down there. I want you to give him the extra money. Don't think it was a good accident that you got lucky. Give him the money and show him that you're honest men. Be honest men. Jacob is embracing his new identity given him from God. Certainly we as believers in Jesus Christ have a new identity in Jesus Christ. We aren't what we were. We are who we are in Jesus Christ. We are children of God. We are loved. We are holy. We are saints. Jacob is remembering a lesson from his previous crisis with Esau. And you're going to see here in verse 14, he leans into God in trust in a moment of great, great tension. Look at verse 14 with me. Jacob ends his interaction with his boys as they're about to leave. He says, may God Almighty grant you mercy before this man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. There's two awesome things happening here. 
He's throwing his family and even his own life and his own happiness onto God and saying, God, if it's your will for this to be resolved, I trust you. That's important. But what's awesome in this text is that Jacob has no idea what he's praying. He has no idea what he's praying. When he prays right here, look at the text, when he, when he prays, may God Almighty grant you mercy. That's not getting what we deserve. He has no idea the offenses between his own kids. And even furthermore, he doesn't realize this, but when he's praying for that man, he's praying for his son. He's praying for his long lost son that he has no idea. He's praying, God, bring back the two boys and all the rest. He has no idea that God's about to answer it and give him three sons. He has no idea that all the pain and the brokenness within his own kids, his own family, his own interactions with his sons is all about to be resolved by the God who can do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work in us. I want to go to Ephesians. I'm going to throw it up here. I want you to think about your own life. I love these verses. It's not to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever, amen. Now here's the thing I want you, as you're thinking about your relationships, your family, the different things that are going on in your relationships, you have an idea that maybe if I play Holy Spirit, I could fix a few things. Stop doing that and throw yourself onto the God who can do far more than you could ask or think. See, that's why we come to church. That's why we believe the gospel. We believe in a God who can do far more than we can do. But often, you know what we do? We do it like Jacob. We worry about things and we fret about things. It's at this final verse that he cries out to God and says, God, would you do it? And believe me, God's going to answer that prayer far beyond what he can even imagine. As the worship team comes here, I'm going to ask us to think in our own lives for a minute. Some of you remember... Did anybody here remember that pot that kind of got destroyed a couple weeks ago? How could I not not remember that, Pastor? So a couple of you still have slivers in your legs, I think, when that went. If you haven't seen it, go look on YouTube, type smashed pot. It's the most famous thing I've ever done in this church. Remember when I said that Jacob had an eye, or Joseph, Joseph had a plan for his life kind of represented by the pot. He wanted to stay in the land, maybe become a, raise a family, be in the place of promise that his great-grandfather and grandfather and father had, had been called to be by God. And then God smashed the pot. Some of you are Joseph. Some of you are the brothers. Actually, truth is, we're probably both. And some of you are a third category, which is you're thinking of somebody right now, you're not the offended or the offender, you're just somebody that would love to be a reconciler and be a part of bringing people back together again. Now here's what I did. I'm going to, in a minute, they're going to play a song over us, and I'm going to ask you, we're all going to stand and sing it together, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If God has put somebody on your heart, you're like, oh, man. That happened a long time ago, same as Joseph. I don't really want to think about that. I don't even want to think of that person's face. Or I know I did something that broke somebody's heart, and I don't even want to go back to that state or part of the country. Or it might be much more, not quite as massive like this. It's kind of a medium offense, but it has put you at odds with someone. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith and to come up here. I actually brought, I saved the shards. I knew we were going to have come to this sermon. And I'm going to ask you to scoot out of your chair, okay? And I'm going to ask you to grab one of these pens. 
Just write the name of the person. Or if you don't even feel comfortable with that, write a pseudonym. Or maybe you're thinking about a couple of friends in your life, and you're like, if only God could work in the relationship. They used to be such great friends, but now they don't even talk to each other. Maybe God will use you as the mediator who begins to pray for something to happen. Essentially, Jacob was doing that. He was praying. He didn't realize this. He was praying that his own sons would come back together and that God would give them a future and they would become a nation. God was doing so much more than Jacob. But here's the thing. Jacob did what he could with the knowledge he had. He prayed. He believed in the God who could do more than he thought or asked. And he prayed it by faith. I'm going to ask you, if you come up here, if God's putting that on your heart, and I pray that he is. We have four little piles here with pens. Okay, you don't have to write a lot on there. Just write names or whatever God puts on your heart. Write that on there. I'm going to ask you for the next two weeks, just the next two weeks, take this shard, put it somewhere on your dresser, in your bathroom, or in your cup holder in your car, a place that you will see. For the next two weeks, I'm going to ask you to pray about that relationship, that person. If you're the offender, that God would completely lead you to a place of repentance, that you will do everything you can, that the the God who works in the offenders would change your heart and restore that relationship. Or if you're the offended, that God would work in your heart. We're going to talk about forgiveness next week. You need to come. Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio. Vertical Church exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the spirit of the Great Commandment by making disciples of Jesus Christ. If you live in Columbus and currently do not have a church home, we would love to invite you to worship with us. Our worship services meet at our church home at 1290 Old Henderson Road. Our church family is warm, loving, and would be so happy to meet you. If you currently do not have a place to worship this weekend, would you join us? As always, thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week for your Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.